I totally thought that Alyssa was going to be like, lifestyle inflation is so bad. Here's how to protect yourself. And instead, it's like, look what I bought. <laughs> <laughs> My name's Alyssa. And my name is Bridget. And you're listening to Money Feels, the podcast where we explore the one type of inflation the Bank of Canada can't control your lifestyle. <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs> I don't know why I get so nervous. My arms are, I feel like dead weight. I get so nervous when I have to say a tagline. Your taglines are so good, though. I love that. That one was clever. Mine would not have been that good. <laughs> I had to go for a pun since we were (laughs) sharing puns before we hit record. (laughs) And you did such a good one. How does your money feel today, Alyssa? My money feels, I don't know. I haven't felt great about it since we recorded with Deidre. (laughs) Not like in a bad way, just more. I'm like, I need to be more aware of how I'm spending my money. I feel like today's topic is a good one for me to have the conversation about because I just don't know where I'm at. I thought you're hyper aware of where you're spending your money. What do you mean you're but not For aware? the last five months, I have no anxiety. So I think I've just like completely <laughs> rid myself of the awareness. I love that you mistake like feeling financial peace as not being responsible with money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much how I feel. How does your money feel today? Uh, better than yours from the sounds of it. Oh, that's um, good. Yeah, not too much going on. I... I'm going through another pause of not buying any clothes. I, You know how I go through months where I buy something every day and then I just don't. So I've stopped for a while. And one thing I'm spending my money on now is like a lot of fitness stuff because I'm perpetually trying to get to a workout routine that I can stick to. <laughs> and I can, I, we've been doing this for like two years and I still, I still can't get to one. But I've signed up for tennis lessons the whole summer. Oh, that's good. Yeah, and then I just registered in like twelve weeks of hot yoga. So oh, now good. that I I was paid for classes, I think I will be. Healthy. You have to go. I was gonna yeah. say, don't be doing. I always say that, like, don't buy the clothes before you know if you actually like the hobby. Well, with the tennis clothes, they're too cute and they're in style now, so I had to <laughs> buy those before. I I basically signed up for the tennis to justify the tennis clothes I purchased. I mean, I'm just glad you signed up. You're taking the right (laughs) steps. Maybe out of order, but they're still all there. They're all there. Yeah. So it was a big investment because I paid for so many classes at once, like two months of tennis and then like three months of yoga is like a lot, but I don't know. The spots were competitive, so I just rushed. I felt the pressure. So I mean, I'm up for you spending money on your health. Yeah. I think it'll be good. I'm really excited. You said you wanted that to be one of your values. So Exactly. Finally living sense. my value. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what are we talking about today? Well, I don't know. I said I thought we were talking about lifestyle inflation and lifestyle creep and essentially when your spending increases faster than your income does. Yes. And I agree with you. I think you feel shocked that because when I opened the outline for this podcast, I was like, oh, this is a different conversation than I was going to have. Because I knew we were talking about lifestyle inflation. I think you and I just have very different views of it and whether or not it's good or bad and how to manage it. So I think that this will actually be a pretty good discussion. Oh, okay. I'm interested then. So 
Well, where should we start? Should we start with whether or not we have been impacted by lifestyle inflation? Well, I mean, I'm very pro-lifestyle inflation, which you can oh, see Oh, that's that. where you're coming from. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. I'm super pro-lifestyle inflation. I think I've undergone a ton of lifestyle inflation. I think I'm perpetually trying to further inflate my life. I really <laughs> actually think that's the point of pursuing higher income and more financial security. It's so you can inflate your lifestyle, so you can purchase more comforts or luxuries or experiences that you can't have otherwise. I actually personally find it really bizarre when people inflate their incomes or their wealth and don't change anything about their lifestyle because then I'm like, what's the point? That really strikes me as working for nothing. Oh, and well, and I'm not against lifestyle inflation. Like I completely understand what you're saying. I think it's unavoidable. Like there's no way you're going to earn more income and not, you have to spend it in some way. Well, you should. You don't have to. Some people don't, but you should. But even if you don't, like you're saving to spend it later. Well, I don't know, unless you're a fire blogger. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I don't even want to touch that because last time some people were upset about what we thought about fire, so. Oh, yeah, we did We did get some DMs, didn't we? Yeah, a couple of TikTok videos about it, I think. <laughs> oh, yeah, people made, li- I. you know, you've made it, though, when other content creators are making content about your content. Like, if people make TikTok videos of our podcast, I'm like, we're famous. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I got a comment today of someone saying they love the podcast. And I was like, oh, my gosh, people know who we are now. (laughs) We can retire. (laughs) (laughs) No, I know that you're not against lifestyle inflation. But what I thought was really interesting as I was even reading the outline that you put together for this episode was even the language that you use to talk about it and to direct this conversation. And that's why I was like laughing internally of how this discussion might go. Because even your second point here, you ask, why do people fall victim to lifestyle inflation? Uh, Well, I mean, that's more of a question. I didn't say how I felt about it. (laughs) Oh, I see. Okay. Do you want to expand on your views of lifestyle inflation and what kind of lifestyle inflation you've undergone? Yeah, well, I mean, I feel like every stage of your life, you you undergo some sort of lifestyle inflation. Like when you go from being a broke university or college student to having a job and actually having income, like your life will inevitably change because you finally have money to spend. Same goes with when you hit like a certain level of income at your career or you receive like a title change. I feel like your lifestyle gets inflated and and those things are hard to change. I feel like the victim part of like, why do people fall victim to lifestyle inflation? (laughs) It's more like our relationship with money. I feel like it's like a mirror. Mm -hmm. Like how we spend money is how we feel about ourselves. Oh, I think you're totally right about that. So I think it's like when we have the money, it kind of starts to reflect like what we actually want our life to look like. So that's why I don't think it's a bad thing. And I think it's unavoidable you're eventually going to spend to live the lifestyle you want. Yeah. I just love that you said victim. Like it, lifestyle is, <laughs> inflation is something that can like attack you. It'll just come up right from behind you. <laughs> it's it's sneaking up on you and it will get you. But well, it is note, sneaky. I- it does creep. It does creep. Lifestyle, lifestyle creep. Lifestyle creep. I, I agree 
Somewhat, for sure. And I I do think that there are ways that lifestyle inflation can be bad, like you said at the beginning of this episode, if it outpaces your income. And I also think that it is something to be managed, because I think when lifestyle inflation really becomes a problem is when people's expectations of their income or what they think their income can actually afford isn't accurate to what their income can actually afford, and they tend to spend beyond their affordability. But I think that's just overspending, not necessarily lifestyle inflation. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I feel like it tends to be more obvious when you're younger, when you do make a leap to actually having like a significant income from having an income of a student or no income at all. That's when I feel like it's the most noticeable. And that's when it's like pivotal that you pay attention to what your spending habits are and try to be realistic with what lifestyle you can start with. Not that you can't strive for a different lifestyle, but where do you start? Which is so hard to do because I think when you get a sudden influx of cash, and especially in salary where it kind of exists on paper, where they're like, oh, we're going to pay you this salary or we're going to give you this raise, and you get so excited about what you can buy with that, that often you go out and start buying those things before those first paychecks come in. Yeah. And I mean, I saw one study where they essentially talked about like what industries cause lifestyle inflation, what what will make you fall victim. <laughs> These are the things that attack you from behind. <laughs> okay. what What's attacking us? So there's five industries that they found were causing lifestyle inflation in young people. And I want to know if you agree or disagree with this study in general. But this is the only study about lifestyle inflation I could find. So it's not something people really talk about, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, because I feel like fire bloggers won't shut up about it. Uh, That's the only group of people, though. Everyone else is, we are living lifestyle inflation. (laughs) We are walking lifestyle inflation. We're in the dangerous back alley waiting to be attacked. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. Go ahead. There's five industries. One is cab or rideshare services. Another's food delivery apps, uh, easy grocery services, online marketplaces like Amazon, and then utility and mobile apps. So like just your phone and and all that kind of stuff. But they're all based in convenience. I feel like that's so small and narrow. Like, yeah, these do, these have inflated my spending a lot because they're so accessible. Like there's no friction between you ordering something on an app, whether that is an Uber or Skip the Dishes or Amazon. Yeah. It's like we're trying to save our energy and our time. So we're willing to spend that extra money that this never even used to be accessible. So I think it's funny that those are the industries that they focused on because 10, 20 years ago, like these things didn't really exist. Yeah. That's interesting because when I think of lifestyle inflation, I think the things that people are most guilty of inflating and the things that I think are most like dangerous to inflate really quickly is your home and your car. Mm. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. Yeah, because often when people get a raise or start a new job, their first thought is, can I move to a nicer apartment or buy a house? And what kind of car can I afford? Like we did a whole episode on buy versus lease a vehicle. So we're not going to go over it here. But the volume of DMs I get that are essentially, this is my income, how much car can I afford is just bananas. And you don't have to go back and listen to our vehicle 
episode because the conclusion that everyone has to abide by is the car you can afford is the cheapest one you can tolerate until your TFSA is maxed out. That's it. Yeah. And I don't know. I think like those things make sense. But for a lot of people, like you're not getting a big enough raise to make that sort of financial decision. But you are getting a big enough raise to say, oh, now I can order dinner twice a week. Now I can do grocery delivery this month. So you mean that's just little lifestyle creep of spending a little bit more on expenses. And maybe your income doesn't even increase. Maybe you just are like slowly putting less towards debt or saving and you're like, I'll just order one more Amazon purchase. Yeah, I think it's more so that is when the little purchases that I hate to say are bad things. I don't think they're bad, but I think that's what really gets a lot of people when they do have a little bit of extra spending money. Because it's also so easy and you don't really realize, like I'm shocked sometimes when I see my Uber Eats total or my Amazon total at the end of the month, because it doesn't feel like a lot, even placing an order twice a week. And then at the end of the month, you're like, oh, that was $600. Yeah. Like it's just when I do my skip the dishes, we do it a lot. Like that is totally something that we've let creep into our lifestyle and every single time, because it's like the delivery fee, the tip. The, the prices oh, yeah. are actually more expensive on these apps than if you just go to the restaurant or if you call and order. We've started to notice, like, we'll look at the menu when we go to the restaurant, and it's a completely different price on the app. That's the sketchiest thing, because I've noticed that, too, because I often order from places that are very close to my home. And so I'll look at their menu, like, online, and then I look at it in the app, and they add, like, $2 to every menu item. It's so I think sketch. they're protecting themselves because the app takes so much money from them. Fair enough. Yeah. So like, I understand. It's like, you're paying way more for the convenience and they have to protect themselves as small business owners. So to that, I understand. But yeah, those smaller, those smaller costs and really ultimately what I feel like causes lifestyle creep, which we already know is, and inflation is consumerism. Like just anytime you feel like you should buy something even if you can't afford it, or even if you just got a raise, like you're so committed to buying something just because you've seen it around a lot. <laughs> it was capitalism all along, as Sarah would say, if you're wrong about. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then the study also talked about just like how many people are more prone to spending their money when there's promotional offers. Um, students are the least likely to go for promotional offers because they don't have that money. So as soon as they do, it jumps by 10%. As soon as you have a full-time job, you're more likely to buy something that's on sale. What? By 75% as opposed to 65%. Yeah. Oh, interesting. So, okay. So just having more money makes you more receptive to sales and marketing efforts? I guess that makes sense, but I didn't know it was like measured. Yeah. So at full-time employees, they are 80%, 81% more likely to buy something if there's a promotional offer. Students is 65%. As soon as they go from students to working students, so even just having a part-time job, it's 74%. And then if you are a full-time professional, it's 75% once you go from a student. And even if you're unemployed, you're still there's still a 68% chance that you'll buy something if it's on sale. Interesting. So, yes, consumerism is always at the core of most of our lifestyle inflation decisions. So it's not even really our fault. No, nothing's our fault. 
just blame the system. But the really interesting part of this study, which not necessarily about lifestyle inflation, but kind of, is that they they just don't feel like they have any motivation to save money. Oh, what? Why? Even if they know how to manage their finances, they don't save enough because they don't have a ton of financial responsibilities yet. So they will spend impulsively. This was for students that don't have the financial... Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's what I was saying. I feel like most often when it's lifestyle inflation, it's not a person who's been working in the industry for 10 years and gets a 4% cost of living raise. Like You're not going to be able to do too much to inflate your lifestyle with that. But when you go from no income to a full-time income, you're definitely going to see those things creep in. And I feel like that's when you have to build the habit of like, what's your... Yeah, what's the starting point? You don't want to get carried away right when you start working. But one other thing that was interesting is just like when you hit lifestyle inflation, I saw someone basically do an analogy of like it's like running in place. You earn a higher income and then you end up in the same place because you're just spending whatever increase you got on your lifestyle. So you mean you're staying in the same place in terms of financial security, but you're not staying in the same place of lifestyle because now you're getting all these Ubers and food delivery. So that's better. Well, that's like materially better, but not financially better. Well, I guess my only debate to you being pro-lifestyle inflation is when you do get a raise, you think it's okay to spend all of that money on luxury or lifestyle items? Or do you feel like there needs to be space for you to save more money? I think, so are we talking about lifestyle inflation in the context that you're not gaining any ground financially otherwise? Yeah, like you're, well, you're getting a raise, you decide what you do. I think people just need to be more deliberate about what they inflate in their lifestyle, because that's another thing to consider is when you do have more money coming in, whether that is because you're switching from low income or no income to a full-time job, or whether you've gotten a raise or you're making other gains in your career, you don't have to immediately spend more on every single thing. And I feel like there is a little bit of pressure, and there's certainly the marketing to do that, that as you move up in income, every aspect of your life is kind of expected to get better, like nicer clothes, nicer home, go out to dinner more, whatever. But I think you can pick like a few areas of your life that are really important to you or you really enjoy and just be like, I'm going to inflate these areas of my life and then maintain where I am otherwise or and then save the difference of that. And I think that would make more sense. I I would obviously never encourage anyone to just spend their entire raise or their income gains and not save and invest any of it. Because in that context, you're actually worsening your financial security, right? If you're not saving and investing 10% of your income or 20%, whatever your financial goals are, as your income increases, and if you don't increase your savings, then you're actually worse off. Yeah, no, that makes, that's kind of what I was thinking. I feel like as soon as you too, as soon as you like get to a certain income level and you become accustomed to living on that income, it's really hard to dial back your spending. I would say impossible. I think about that all the time of where my lifestyle is now versus when it where it was when I started creating financial content and I was like a broke student and I still have my budgets from 
that time, which is very funny. I was looking them up because I was going to make a TikTok of like my past life. And I was looking at my old budgets where I could live on like $1,500 a month, which oh yeah doesn't even compute now. Like granted, this was 12 years ago. So things were cheaper, but it's it wasn't that much cheaper. It's just everything that's happened since then is lifestyle inflation. And I'm so locked into a lot of expenses that they would be very difficult or impossible to cut. And I think people don't consider that sometimes when they're inflating their lifestyle. So what I mean by that is if, say you inflate your lifestyle in a way where you are ordering more from Skip the Dishes or Uber Eats or Amazon, that's pretty easy to cut. Like the next month you could just not order as much and that problem Mm -hmm. solved. I can't stop paying my mortgage next month and just immediately switch to like a low rent apartment. And same thing, like if you upgrade your car, you can't just switch to a lower car payment the next month. There's some inflate, like some things you inflate that you're locked in, like it's quite a big commitment for a long term and it's inflexible. And I think those you have to be very, very thoughtful about. And as I'm saying this, I'm remembering I had a discussion on Instagram recently, I just posted casually in my stories. I'm like, oh, hey, this is how I think about big expenses. And people were surprised that I spent like two to three years considering a very expensive purchase, like say, for example, a new vehicle before I commit because I am considering all the factors, including I'm going to be locked into that inflated lifestyle and I have to be able to manage it. So I think there's a lot a benefit in simply waiting before you inflate something big and something that's a big commitment. Like seriously think about it about six months, 12 months, two years before, yeah, getting a bigger house, getting a different car or another large expense that locks you into a financial commitment potentially forever because that that's where lifestyle inflation I think has a lot of risk. Yeah, I think like how you said your home and your car, those are the two riskiest things to inflate. A hundred percent. Because you cannot downgrade. You cannot. It's out of the question. It's also like those bigger annual purchases that you start to make and that your network starts to take notice of because the last thing that anyone wants to do is say, yeah, actually, we aren't going to be doing these things we typically always do with you because we need to be more conscious of our spending. Oh, yeah. That's still like so embarrassing. (laughs) Yeah. Like your ego can't take it. It's too big of a hit. So you will just push yourself financially to your limit just so you don't have to say, actually, we're spending less this year because we've inflated our lifestyle. Like no one's going to admit to that. (laughs) So you're just kind of putting yourself in an impossible situation because you've created this lifestyle that you could once afford or that you couldn't afford, but you thought you could. I wish we didn't have so much shame and embarrassment around that. Like I understand that we do, but I think me working in this space as a very financially transparent person, like I would probably be like, oh yeah, I overspent. So I got to dial it back for the next few months or few years. (laughs) Like I would just say it, but it's because I'm comfortable talking about this, but I couldn't imagine like one of my friends or my neighbors, well, maybe some of my friends and neighbors would say that because everyone discloses their finances to me, but it would be pretty wild to hear from someone that was just like, yeah, we're not going to take a vacation this year because we, we're just scaling back our spending. You'd be like, oh, you go on international vacations four times a year. Yeah, that's, I mean, I would do the same thing. I would fully say, nope, <laughs> I'm 
I'm drowning in debt now. I really, (laughs) I went too crazy. I broke. (laughs) I don't know. I feel like anytime you experience an increase in your income, you do need to adjust your spending habits before you start living on a budget that you didn't actually set. Yeah, because I think it's really easy to, when your financial circumstances change, you just assume that you can afford more than you can. And like, wait, just wait, just slow down your rate of lifestyle inflation and then make decisions. On that note of things that people inflate, I think another thing that people tend to buy more of is what's visible to other people. I actually Mm -hmm. think that's another reason why houses and cars are such big ticket items that we're willing to really inflate because people see them. Like they're yeah. a way that we really interact with our social groups. And I think some people do inflate like they're spending on their wardrobe or going to the restaurants they go to or on vacations because again, those are things that you really show to other people. I don't think we tend to inflate a lot of purchases that aren't so front facing to other people. Yeah, that's true. And those ones aren't going to have like that can't turn back now um, impact on you either. (laughs) Like no one buys a really nice new car to park it in their garage. They probably park it on their street. Like I'm sure you've noticed a lot of luxury vehicles in like suburban communities and you're like, why are they parking that like brand new BMW outside when it could hail in May? Um, Oh my God. They're just signaling to their neighbors that they probably got a raise. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I have to tell my neighbor to move his matte black Maserati a few times because (laughs) he's like purposely parking it in front of your house (laughs) so that you have to be like, I noticed your really nice luxury vehicle. Um, He can park it in front of my house. Then it looks like I have a matte black Maserati. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I think I agree. I feel like it has a lot to do with status and less to do with like what am I, what can I do with this money to create a wealthy future for myself? Yeah. And I think those are the questions that we need to ask. Like it's just coming back to designing your rich life and thinking about what you really value and where you want your money to go. And then being very deliberate of only inflating those areas of your life. Yeah. I think like we've already said, there's like three things you can ask yourself. Like I think some lifestyle inflation is okay. Some lifestyle creep is okay. But you ask yourself like, do I even, am I aware that this is happening? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Can I maintain this cost over the long term? Like you said, like considering it for 12 months, two years, like can you actually afford this long term? And if you go backwards, like if something were to happen and you went backwards in income, would you still be able to afford that luxury item or this habit that you've created? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like it's just like be aware, be intentional, no matter what your income level is and how much of a raise you're anticipating. I think that goes alongside with what you mentioned about all the mindless consumerism and the marketing that really tricks you into buying things that you don't want. So the only way to counteract that really is to be more intentional. Yeah, there's one effect. It's called the Diderot effect. And I think it's a guy who talked a lot about how when you buy new things, when your income increases, it's not necessarily a bad thing. But what makes it a problem is that your spending habits connect you to who you think you are. Oh, And your identity becomes tied to buying more and more stuff. (laughs) 
because that's just a part of what this lifestyle you've created. Like the consumerism is really hard to kick once you've started buying items all the time. Like even your Aritzia habit, once you start giving yourself the freedom to buy those things freely, it's really hard to stop. Yeah. I mean, we've gone in another direction now where I think I've gotten enough from Aritzia. Now I'm kind of annoyed with the quality of their clothes. So (laughs) you've sampled all of their collections. I've sampled all of their clothes and I'm satiated and I'm done now. Uh, On that, the Diderot effect is that's how we pronounce it, right? Yeah. Diderot. Okay. Diderot. Uh, I've heard of that before and I'm looking at an article about it now where it's also the tendency that when you upgrade one thing, you feel the need or the desire to upgrade everything else that's around it. Like the example that they use here is if you buy a really nice rug and then you put it in your home, but then you realize like the pillows on your couch or the wallpaper don't match. So then you feel obligated to upgrade those. And I feel that all the time because I've only finished essentially like one room of my house where I painted and put wallpaper up and it's the room I'm in right now. And it's my favorite room because it's the only one that's done. And every time I leave it now, I'm like, my house is unfinished. (laughs) It makes me me so annoyed that the rest of my home is not painted and wallpapered. And I didn't feel that before I upgraded this one room. I think we talked about this in like a bonus episode of Money Feels where we were reviewing someone's finances and they really wanted to update their basement. And we were both like, what's the rush? Like, we get it. Because when you do one renovation or when you're living in a house and you're staring at that part of your home day in, day out, thinking how amazing it would look if you just did what your Pinterest board says. Yeah. But waiting two to three years to like ensure that it's something you can afford and that you can get everything you want so that you're not rushing into that purchase, it's like one of the hardest decisions to make, but one of the best decisions you can make. Yeah, that's one of the reasons I've also put off my basement reno because the basement reno is whatever. it. I know what the price will be and it'll be like a few weeks of construction and it's done. But then I realized I would have to buy furniture for the basement. Yeah. And so then that's a whole other additional cost because otherwise it's just, yeah, the rooms are done, but it's still not usable space as living space unless we have some furniture down there. And then I'm like, that just drives the bill so high that I'm like, I'm going to wait a little bit longer to save up and have the cash to do that because yeah, you just have to keep upgrading once you're on that train. I think that is it. The Diderot effect, I think that is lifestyle inflation. Like (laughs) you are so tempted. You buy cute cowboy boots for the stampede like me. Then all of a sudden you're so cute though. Not to sidetrack that, but I really love those boots. I saw them on your story and I'm like, those are so cool. Well, and then I had to buy, I'm pulling it up to show Bridget so you can't see, but this vegan leather corset to go with it. Wow. And, Alyssa, you know, you just can't. So you're hot like, at Stampede. <laughs> you just can't stop because you're like, well, I can't wear an old t-shirt with these new boots. I was hit no. by the Diderot effect. <laughs> Now this episode's gone in a completely different way because I totally thought that Alyssa was going to be like, lifestyle inflation's so bad. Here's how to protect yourself. And instead it's like, look what I bought. (laughs) I mean, I was kind of surprised you thought I was against it. I do see the language in the outline. I'm not against it. I think one question that we should answer that we've kind of touched on is like, what happens when you do get a raise? Like, what should you do 
so that you don't completely lose that raise without even realizing. I mean, the first thing I would say is to do absolutely nothing, especially for the next two to three months. Do not change anything. Like go out for a celebratory dinner when you get the raise. Go like to a nice restaurant, spend $100, $150 on your meal and be like, yay, I got a raise. And then upgrade absolutely nothing. Do not change your budget for two to three months, maybe even longer. And during those two to three months, be very thoughtful of what you want your finances to do for you. Because we're all working towards different financial goals. And I think those especially, you have to keep at the forefront because again, we're all being shoved this mindless consumerism advertising in our face. So take two to three months to be like, what am I really trying to do? Am I saving up a down payment? Am I trying to max out my retirement accounts? Is there another big goal that I'm working towards? And once you have that and are like, do I want to put extra towards that? How much extra? After that, you can then think what areas of my life do I want to upgrade in some way? And they might be big areas. You might want a bigger apartment or a nicer car. But for those really big purchases that, like we've talked about earlier, really lock you into a payment for years, I think you can be like, okay, I'll get that new car next year. Or I'll move to that new apartment when my lease is up in six or 12 months or whatever. Like, absolutely do not rush. The bigger the commitment, the bigger the purchase, the slower you should move towards it. And then, yeah, day-to-day, I mean, I would say it's okay to throw a little bit of extra money in your day-to-day. Like maybe instead of, I remember like it was such a big deal to me when I was able to go for coffee every day instead of just on Fridays like I used to. (laughs) Because when my budget was really tight, I could only get like a latte on Fridays. And then eventually my income got high enough that I was like, I can get a coffee Monday to Thursday and a latte on Fridays. And that was a big deal. Aw, that's such a nice <laughs> change. Like it's a subtle change that still does impact your like life satisfaction. Yeah. And so you can just think of those little things like what will make my day-to-day better. Because I'm also like a very big fan of being very comfortable and happy in your day-to-day. I think that's one of the best ways to be happy in your finances, but also just happy in your life. You're like, what little things will make my day-to-day better? For some people, that's like, I just want a more comfortable pair of shoes to walk in. I want a really nice jacket. I want a new handbag that I'll carry every day. Like It might be something like that, or it might be, I want to be able to get lunch twice a week. I want to get coffee every day. I want to go to brunch every Sunday. Like There's all these different things. But yeah, I would really think about what will make your day-to-day better, because I think that gives you a daily payoff as opposed to something that maybe you only enjoy one time or enjoy infrequently. Yeah. I mean, I was talking to my coworker about what happens when you get a raise and how both of us were like, yeah, as soon as you get a raise, the first thing you do is the math. You're like, how much more money am I getting every single month? Because after taxes, it's not as much. (laughs) Yeah. It's never as much as you think. But in the case that it is, all of a sudden, as someone who's like in the world of finance, it's really hard not to immediately start allocating that money towards certain goals or put it in your savings or like do the responsible thing. And we were both like, I think what we forget to do too is just like you said, like just enjoy the fact that you had it. Like you don't immediately have to start allocating your money because it does kind of take the joy out of the raise that you just got. (laughs) Yeah, it really does. 
And so I feel like it's really important that you said just sit with it, like go out and celebrate. And because I think a lot of our listeners really dislike spending money and treating themselves even when they deserve to, even when they've gotten that big raise. One of the reasons I also think that it's important to sit with it, and I think this works whether you're getting a raise or whether you're getting some other kind of cash windfall, like maybe got an inheritance, maybe got an unexpected gift or something, you might feel differently about it after a few weeks or a few months go by. Like generally our initial reaction to new money isn't necessarily correct because we're just like so excited (laughs) at the new prospect of what it can do for us. And so sitting with it and being thoughtful about it does really change your mind because I've had a few uh, experiences of that over the past year, especially now that I don't leave my course for sale open all the time. Like we're just doing quarterly intakes, which means I make no money for a few months at a time. And then I get a big influx of cash when the course is open. And I follow my own rules where I like sit with the money for a bit. And I've made different decisions with it than I thought I would when I first get it by just simply waiting like a few months and being like, what do you really want to do with this? Like, what are you thinking of doing? Because your mind changes as you kind of get used to the sum and you and you take the time to figure out what you want to do. Yeah. And if you're used to not having money and it's an inheritance, like your nervous system might just go into shock. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, like, okay, well, are we fighting? Are we flying? Like, what are we doing? You're totally right, though. I think it does initiate a like, fight or flight response because you <laughs> don't know. It. And I can tell that because you probably get these DMs too. Do you get DMs from people that are like, I just got a $400,000 inheritance? Yeah, what do I do? I, I Googled money and your profile came up. Like, <laughs> that's where they are. And yeah, I think it is, it can be really overwhelming. Uh, so it's so important to let your emotions settle. And I think that takes weeks or even months, depending on the size of the sum and how it will impact your life. But yeah. I, I also don't like in the culture of personal finance where there is a quite a bit of like demonization around inflating your lifestyle. Like I think it's getting a little better now, or at least I don't follow the accounts that do this, but there was such a obsession with frugality and it always seemed to be like it was admirable if you made a lot of money or had a lot of money, but spent very little and I think there was always an outcry against lifestyle inf- inflation. Well, I mean, we just had this conversation because I shared a post a while ago from someone that was like, we're millionaires, but we still cut our own hair. And I'm just like, why? <laughs> Maybe they like it. It's their hobby. <laughs> <laughs> but it, like, they had a long list of things that were ways that they hadn't inflated their lifestyle, even though they had attained a level of financial security that would allow them uh, to afford it. And I just, and that was so praised and it was so engaged. And I'm, I don't know, I'm kind of on, on board with Ramit when he says it's, it's a tragedy to live a smaller life than you can afford to. Like, I think, oh yeah, I think you should enjoy your money at the capacity that it allows you to enjoy it while still taking care of your long-term financial security. I think your financial security obviously is paramount, but I do think there is a balance between securing your financial future and just enjoying your life now. Like I, I got a haircut yesterday. Very enjoyable. <laughs> well, I think I was super guilty of that. You know how frugal I used to be and I still am frugal about certain things in my life. 
I don't know. I don't recognize you anymore. Like in the year. Yeah, that I'm a different person. <laughs> 2023 Alyssa is a blast. <laughs> it's it's so disorienting from how you were last year. Even I think even if people went back and listened to our first season of podcast episodes, the way that you've changed and your perception is it's so fun. Like I love it. I like to think that I had this influence on you. You did. We're bit. healing our relationship <laughs> with money. That's why we started this podcast. But it's been, yeah, it's been interesting to see that transformation in you. Cause you're right. You, you used to be more frugal. Now I don't really know you. Like you're holding up clothes <laughs> that you just bought for the stampede. And I'm like, where is my original money feels co-host? <laughs> well, I think that's what I was going to say. Like those people that are praising it, you are in a bubble. So you don't really see the maybe toxicity of it because everyone's praising you. But the reality is that that is money trauma. And a lot of people just it do not understand trauma. that that exists. They don't know how to deal with yeah. it. They don't even realize that they have a scarcity mindset. And so when they do come to this point in their life where they have a ton of money left and they haven't planned to die with zero, that that's when maybe we'll see people being like, oh, I wish that I had maybe given myself a little bit more freedom to spend. Yeah, you're totally right. It is, we haven't reached that stage yet. Like, fire still relatively new. So a lot of people who are doing that and living that lifestyle haven't gotten to that point yet. And I'm wondering if in the future, we might see them coming out and saying, like, I wish I did more. Like in another 20 years or so when they're yeah. in their 60s, 70s. Yeah, it's interesting. You're totally right, though. It is a money trauma response. And it is a sense of scarcity perceived scarcity if you believe yeah. that you cannot spend money on enjoyment because another thing and another conversation that I've been having with some of my followers and a question I got repeatedly is like they ask what what do you waste money on or what do you, what do you refuse to waste money on and I'm like what does that even mean because I don't really think there is a way to waste money even though I think a lot a lot of people perceive lifestyle inflation as a waste of money, but I think the only money is wa that's wasted is money that's not delivering value to you in yeah. some way. That's the only way to waste money. There's, I don't think there's any expense that's a waste if it gets you an end you want. I think that's that sunk cost fallacy where people are like always thinking or regretting past money purchases or purchases that they've made. Oh, and right. thinking like, I can't make that mistake again. Like I totally have done that with like small purchases even. Even someone messaged me and I was like, oh, I didn't really love this book. And they're like, do you feel like sometimes you could ever just stop reading a book? Because I can't stop reading a book because I paid for it. So I just feel like I have to finish it no matter what. Oh, I used to do that. But then I got some books that were so bad that I'm just like, <laughs> nope, I, I will pay not to read this anymore. <laughs> but that's like an example of the sunk cost fallacy. Like you just, sometimes you just need to let it go. Like it wasn't a bad purchase or a waste of money because at the time it made you happy and it was something you wanted. So yeah. like, why are you wasting time thinking about like, oh, I should just finish. I should just grind through and finish this book that's <laughs> causing me misery. Because <laughs> the only way to combat misery is to create more misery. That'll that was me with that bloom. Bloom powder, which is still in my oh, yeah. pantry. <laughs> this is what I mean that I don't recognize you anymore. <laughs> but one, okay, so one other thing that I read 
um, that I thought was pretty interesting was someone and their website's called ofdollarsanddata.com. And I'm not recommending it by any means because I don't know who this person is. And you just never know in person. Oh, finance. no, I've, I've seen their stuff before. They, okay, they okay. have good data. So. Yeah, the piece, the blog post I read was really great. I thought it was a super interesting take on lifestyle inflation. And essentially, all that it focused on was savings rate. And it was essentially saying, like, as long as you make sure that your savings percentage is covered so that you're still able to hit the financial goals that you want, then the rest of the money, it's perfectly fine to inflate your lifestyle. So, like, cover your savings rate first and then go for it. I agree with that. I thought that was like a good way to look at things. Yeah. So they had a little chart on there about like, depending on what your raise was, how much of it you should save based on what your savings rate is. So if you were saving 10%, it tells you exactly how much of your raise you need to save to just like keep that 10% going. Oh, yeah. It says 36%. That's... See, well, I mean, after taxes. <laughs> yeah, so you might not get a very big raise, but you're keeping that um, percentage up to what it was. So at the end of the mm-hmm. year, there's no regret of like, oh, I should have saved more money. Um, and yeah, it's just really helpful. So I'm going to link the blog post in the show notes. But yeah, if you were saving 5% of your income, then you would need to save 27% of your raise. If you are saving 10% of your income, you would need to save 36% of your raise. It's just really interesting. Um, and a good way to look at things so that you can just remove that from your mind. Like, okay, so if I'm putting 36% of my raise away, then I actually only have this amount of money to spend freely on whatever I want. But also it just removes that guilt of overspending too. Yeah. And it should remove that guilt because you don't you don't have to feel guilty about enjoying your money. No, you shouldn't. If you got a raise, there's a reason you got a raise and you should be okay with spending part of it. Yes. Okay. Well, before we wrap this up, Alyssa, I'm curious how you're planning to inflate your lifestyle in the near or far future. Um, This is a tough question for me because I don't, I just started thinking about this actually, because I feel like you and I have had a lot of conversations about our rich life in the future and like when we're making millions of dollars effortlessly. (laughs) The dream. (laughs) And I have put together like my dream life essentially and most of my inflated spend will be on travel because I have not spent money on that. That is the one thing that I've been thinking about for years where I'm like, I could spend all this money or I could put it off and then really get to enjoy this part of my life that I've never been able to enjoy before. So travel is something for me and just like anything to have people do things that I absolutely hate like regular daily tasks. I hate cleaning. I hate organizing. (laughs) I hate like, I want some other, I want someone else to do that. I would happily pay someone else to do that for me. Interesting. Yours are pretty similar to mine. I was thinking recently, because I just had one of those really crazy weeks where my daughter had tons of extracurriculars and I was busy with work and I felt like way behind in my house cleaning, which I actually enjoy. I like cleaning my home, but it was just piling up and then I was getting stressed out and I'm like very close to the tipping point where I think that I might hire some help. Like maybe someone just to come twice a month just so I can keep up with it. So I might inflate my lifestyle that way. And then I'm moving very, very slowly on upgrading my car and renoing my basement. Those ones are like one to two years out. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like it's good to think about what you want 
to inflate in your lifestyle? I feel like it's a good question. Yeah, because you have to be really serious about it. Again, with like the thoughts on the rich life, like I've really been sitting down and trying to figure out my rich life and realizing recently that I do not have a clear vision anymore. I honestly didn't think past like, I want to raise my daughter in a nice house close to an elementary school. So she has like a very picturesque childhood home. And then I moved into my house last year or whatever. And then I'm like, well, (laughs) I have no plans after this. I think we're all really focused on like hitting the income and less focused on the why. Why do you even want that income? Yes, because I, yeah, I, I don't have a good idea of what things I want to buy or inflate my lifestyle to. Yeah, I think it was good, a good like practice for me to say like, this is what I want my life to look like, because then not only do you have the drive, but then you do have that reasoning. And now I'm like, this is so much more important. It also gives me the opportunity to save like ahead for those or kind of like pre-plan for those parts of my life, even if I don't get to inflate my lifestyle, but just planning for them. This, Yeah, this is probably the best advice of this whole episode coming right at the end. Yeah. But <laughs> it, you can think of how you want to inflate your lifestyle before you get any kind of influx of cash. Even if you haven't got a raise, there's no inheritance coming, you can still think, what do I want my life to look like? What income would that require or what savings would that require and plan for it? So then maybe when those events do happen that you do increase your income or a cash windfall appears, you have the plan already in place. Yeah. And some people are scared to do that because they think like they're going to jinx it or it's never going to happen. So why no, would they bother thinking about that? You have to. You have to start thinking about it because it's just life is so short. You just got to push just a little bit. Everything just works out for us. So it's going to work we out for lucky. you too. We are lucky girls. Every day I find a front row parking spot and it's because I'm a lucky girl. <laughs> I love it. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Money Feels. You can subscribe to our podcast anywhere you listen and be on the lookout for a new episode every Thursday. If you're not subscribed yet, you can join our community of over 300 subscribers for bonus content on Patreon. Feel free to drop a review and we'll see you next week. You can follow us on Instagram at Mixed Up Money for Me, at Bridgie Casey for Bridget, and at Money Feels Podcast, and we'll see you next time.